Hello, creepy people, and welcome back to Don't Listen Alone. I'm your host for the night, Amber. Great news, we now have a Facebook page and are officially on all the podcast platforms. If you're listening and I'm not on your preferred platform, email me and I'll get it on there too. Tonight's story is continued from last week, so if you haven't listened to that one, I recommend going back and listening to that now. If you're up to date with the story, then grab a listening buddy and let's begin. Tonight's story is The Backroads, Maintenance Tunnels by Paige Turner. Hey again, since that last post actually went through, I should probably let everyone know what happened. Consider it a public service. If you find yourself getting lost on any backroads, just stop and GPS your way home before it's too late. You'll get nothing from that place except PTSD. Fuck's sake, where do I even start? Well, with the station, I suppose. You know you're a lost cause when you start thinking of a shitty convenience store's home. Though, to be fair, getting drunk every day was a big help. I freely admit I was health belligerent writing that last post, and understand that what I'm about to tell you sounds crazy. But this is what happened. I don't think I mentioned it before. I don't think I mentioned a lot of things. But that last store constantly played some weird radio station over the speakers, and I couldn't figure out how to shut it off. The music was unsettling. There was never any singing, just instrumentals. The tunes were slow and almost soothing in the mornings, and then they would become more upbeat in the afternoons. But at night, they would play dark, bone-chilling symphonies. Those were far beyond simple elevator music. Those sounded like Satan's personal orchestra. I was usually relieved when the woman came to talk. She was the same one from the gas pumps. A monitor hanging in the back corner would turn on to show her reports, but I couldn't change the channel or get it to turn to any other time. She doesn't appear after the evening news, but I guess it makes sense there would be a final call, though the haunting rendition of Breakfast at Tiffany's was almost more than my fragile heart could bear until it was interrupted by an emergency broadcast. Then Olivia O'Neill was back with another special announcement. Greetings, Grass Grovers. Thank you for choosing Last Stop Station. The store will be closing in 10 minutes. Please gather your final purchases and calmly proceed to the exit in single file. There is no need to shove or shout. The cleaners will not arrive until 12.01 a.m. Cyrus be with you. It was hard to focus on what she said. I was too busy looking at her eyes. I could have been hallucinating, but it looked like they had turned black. I don't know what color they used to be, but they were definitely normal eyes all the other times I saw her, not pitch black orbs. I was hoping it would end quickly, like a shot to the head. There one second and gone the next. Hell, the only time I tried to eat a bullet, I couldn't pull the trigger. I kept talking myself out of it and ended up stashing the gun under the counter. I couldn't get rid of it, but I didn't want to look at it anymore either. At 11.59, I was racing the clock to drink myself unconscious and thought I had succeeded when everything suddenly went dark. But it only lasted for a second. Just as quickly, a silent red siren descended from the ceiling and the strobing light made me so dizzy I puked all over my shoes. I glanced at the clock in time to watch the last five seconds tick down and, at the stroke of midnight, the siren receded into the ceiling. The lights came back brighter than ever and while spots were dancing in my vision, the automatic door slid open. I almost puked again as several white, blurry blobs entered the station and split off in every direction. 
Seeing them file in was a sobering moment, but I was too far gone to articulate sensible speech while panicking. I tried to ask who they were, what they wanted, but there was no telling what I actually said, and they were never going to talk regardless. They advanced and I retreated. When I backed into the counter, I went over and he continued crawling for as much distance as possible. My vision was finally clearing and I felt a slight relief upon realizing the intruders were only humans wearing some kind of hazmat suits and not stranded. I'm not sure why, but I named the one who came to me Al. He was the only one to acknowledge my existence. None of the others even glanced my way. Some were restocking shelves while others were cleaning, and that's when I remembered the thing about cleaners arriving at 12.01. Have you ever seen a movie where they check for radiation with little machines that click and beep? Well, these guys had some that looked like they were from the 50s. I thought they were little radios at first. They had handles sticking out of the top with a few dials on either side, and there was a detachment that looked like a microphone without the mouthpiece. I couldn't help but let out a slight yelp when Al finally had me cornered. I begged him not to hurt me, and it took several seconds to realize he wasn't. He was scanning me. After his machine failed to detect whatever it was looking for, he put it away and reached towards me. Not in a fast or threatening manner, but casual, and placed both hands on my hips. I felt his fingers close, and j- I just- I thought, ugh, it's not important what I thought, but I screamed for real that time. Every head in the station turned to stare. They didn't seem angry, only creepy. All the machines were turned off by this point, so there was complete silence when Al replaced his hands on my hips and, in one smooth motion, poked my shirt over my head. I'm not sure why I lifted my arms, I guess it was a reflex. After dropping my shirt on the ground, Al tried to unbutton my pants. I was outnumbered more than ten to one, and there was no question those people meant to have their way. I established what little dignity remained by throwing my own pants to the ground. It was my only choice. I think I would have been okay if it had ended there, but I found new depths of unexplored terror when my pants were added to the pile, yet Al's still coming back for more. More? All I had left were socks, shoes, and boxers. Even my gun and bag were being added to the pile. I threw my shoes and socks at their feet in a desperate attempt to keep my boxers and began walking towards the exit, but I barely made it three steps before being detained. Two men took hold of my arms while a third stripped away my last shred of humanity. I was scanned and cleared once more before being pushed outside. It hadn't felt like I went anywhere, but the station was suddenly in a warehouse with enough lighting to imitate the sun. The surrounding metal walls were a perfect fit, as if they were built after the station was placed there. It felt like being on the set of a movie studio. My car was still parked next to the pump, and a team of cleaners were busy going through it. I was considering a way to get one of them alone. Finding clothes was my top priority, even if it was one of those weird suits. That's when I noticed what was beyond the parking lot, a wide concrete path. I could follow it to the right or to the left. There were no doors, just trimmed openings in the walls, and when standing on the path, 
I could see for miles in either direction with no end in sight. I didn't know what to do, but thankfully I didn't have to wonder that long. As I looked to the left once more, what I thought would be a solid wall opened into a doorway. It scared me at first, and I was prepared to run in the other direction, when a man suddenly stepped out and waved me over. It was comforting to see he wasn't dressed like a cleaner, but that's not what made me trust him. I trusted him because he wore the same look of terror I imagined wearing myself. His eyes searched the tunnels like something could appear any second, and I wasn't ready to learn what put that terror on his face. I was close enough he pulled me through the door and slammed it shut. I found myself in what I can only describe as an Amazon warehouse. It was like the mother of all Sam's clubs, and we were surrounded by shelves of trash bags and paper towels. I didn't know what to say, so I opted for standing silent with my hands awkwardly covering my junk. After dropping my shirt on the ground, Al tried to unbutton my pants. I was outnumbered more than 10 to 1, and there was no question those people meant to have their way. I salvaged what little dignity remained by throwing my own pants to the ground. It was my only choice. I think I would have been okay if it had ended there, but I found new depths of unexplored terror when my pants were added to the pile, yet Al was still coming back for more. More? All I had left were socks, shoes, and boxers. Even my gun and bag were being added to the pile. I threw my shoes and socks at their feet in a desperate attempt to keep my boxers and began walking towards the exit, but I barely made it three steps before being detained. Two men took hold of my arms while a third stripped away my last shred of humanity. I was scanned and cleared once more before being pushed outside. It hadn't felt like I went anywhere, but the station was suddenly in a warehouse with enough lighting to imitate the sun. The surrounding metal walls were a perfect fit, as if they were built after the station was placed there. It felt like being on the set of a movie studio. My car was still parked next to the pump, and a team of cleaners were busy going through it. I was considering a way to get one of them alone. Finding clothes was my top priority, even if it was one of those weird suits. That's when I noticed what was beyond the parking lot, a wide concrete path. I could follow it to the right or to the left. There were no doors, just trimmed openings in the walls, and when standing on the path, I could see for miles in either direction with no end in sight. I didn't know what to do, but thankfully I didn't have to wonder that long. As I looked to the left once more, what I thought would be a solid wall opened into a doorway. It scared me at first, and I was prepared to run in the other direction, when a man suddenly stepped out and waved me over. It was comforting to see he wasn't dressed like a cleaner, but that's not what made me trust him. I trusted him because he wore the same look of terror I imagined wearing myself. His eyes searched the tunnels like something could appear any second, and I wasn't ready to learn what put that terror on his face. I was close enough he pulled me through the door and slammed it shut. I found myself in what I can only describe as an Amazon warehouse. It was like the mother of all Sam's clubs, and we were surrounded by shelves of trash bags and paper towels. I didn't know what to say, so I opted for standing silent with my hands awkwardly covering my junk.
Here, man, use this for now, and I'll take you to grab some clothes before we split. And I'm Doug, by the way. He ripped open a box of industrial-sized trash bags and tossed one over. I wrapped it around my waist and introduced myself as he led us through the endless aisles of random supplies. Occasionally, he paused to put something into his bag, but we never stopped for more than a few seconds. He was thin and a few inches taller than me, with long hair pulled back into a man bun. But he wore an orange shirt with white and blue flower print board shorts. I think he were my age, but his deep voice made him sound older. His pack was the kind campers take on week-long excursions, and it looked like it couldn't fit one more item without bursting a seam. I had countless questions, but no clue where or how to begin. Finally, I settled for, where are we? That's a pretty loaded question, my friend. If you're here, you must have stayed in a station past the midnight countdown, which means the cleaners came and took your clothes away. That was the worst part for me, but it doesn't look like you fought back. Smart man. Check this out. He lifted his shirt to reveal a nasty circular burn scar slightly larger than a quarter. When a cleaner reached for his pants, Doug punched him in the head. This resulted in a second cleaner producing what appeared to be a police baton, but was actually something closer to a cattle prod. Doug described the sensation as being electrocuted with a branding iron, and it instantly rendered him unconscious. When he woke, he was lying in a concrete pathway just beyond the station's parking lot, and his entire body felt like it was on fire. Knowing he couldn't stay there, he began crawling through the tunnel. Exactly how long have you been here? This realization he had been trapped here long enough for that wound to heal added a new layer of fear to the situation. No telling. It's too easy to lose track of time around here. You'll try to count the Sundays for a while, but it's impossible. There's no windows to know if it's day or night, and if you get a new watch or phone, you'll find they're useless at most places. Watchers don't work at all, and phones seem to charge at random depending on your location. It was difficult to appreciate the magnitude of his words. A sea of clothes racks was just ahead, and walking through a store naked can be terribly distracting. Are we alone here? Are there more cleaners? What about the stranded? Please tell me other things. I'll tell you what I've heard, but it's up to you whether you're not to believe it. Plus, we're almost out of time, so keep moving or get left behind. That was fine after everything I had experienced. I thought I was ready to believe anything. Have you ever heard of any of the game legends? The ones where you do something incredibly dangerous for a chance to win something from the devil? It's usually a wish or some kind of fortune, but there's a ton of them. The Infinity Game and Midnight Game are fairly popular, for example. Like Bloody Mary or Candyman? I did not like where this was going. Well, sort of. You're on the right track, but those are fake and only for a scare. The ones I'm talking about are all too real. The first thing you need to accept is that demons exist. They come in all shapes and sizes. But there's a group of elite that are uncontested in power. Almost godlike. Souls are the currency. Nourishment fuel that sustain their powers. But collecting them can get a little tricky. A demon can't simply take a soul by force. It must be freely given, and even the humans who don't believe in souls tend to get protective when asked point blank to part with one. So what do they do? They create a situation that makes you want to give it away. You follow me? Uh, sorta. 
You mean it's like the devil's crossroads or the thing with the golden fiddle? He considered that for a moment. Closer, but they haven't done things that way for decades. Business was slow. People weren't buying into it anymore. You know what they say about things too good to be true. But if you add an element of challenge, something to balance the effort with the reward, then people believe it. So somewhere in this maze of madness, you're saying there's a demon who will send me home in exchange for my soul? It was a shitty deal, but one I was prepared to take. That's how badly I miss my family. Hell no, man. This game isn't active. It's just a relic of the past. No one bothered to shut down. There was no rhyme or reason to getting here. It was practically based on chance. The asshole running it made himself a new game where suckers alternate turning left and right in order to play. I don't know what happens after that, but it's clearly more lucrative than this place. Now we're just stuck here while everything essentially runs on autopilot. It took me a few minutes to respond. It's not that I didn't believe him. No other explanations fit the scenario. I was just shocked. Does that mean the cleaners are the only danger in town here? I knew it was too good to be true when I said it, but I don't know. What else do you say at a time like that? He could have simply said no, but he didn't have to laugh. <laughs> I wish. This place wouldn't be that bad if... He stopped suddenly and reversed, pulling me with him. The sound of footsteps could be heard in the distance, and they were getting louder. The aisle we were on contained packs of bottled water lined beneath the bottom shelf, and Doug rushed to clear a space among them. I helped as soon as I understood his intent, but I never thought we would actually fit. Thank goodness I was wrong. There was a four-foot space behind the stack, and it ran the full length of the aisles we were sandwiched between. Once we crawled under the shelf, we pulled the water back in to cover our entrance and waited in silence as the cleaners continued to draw closer. That's when we realized there was another sound mixed with the footsteps, one we couldn't quite identify until it was only a few yards away. It was the sound of something wet and sticky being dragged across the floor, but nothing was distinguishable between the small cracks of our hiding place. Doug already knew what it was, I could tell by the look on his face, but he only shook his head at my curious stare. We waited until they were well out of our vicinity before crawling out, and the thick blood streaks confirmed the fear I wouldn't acknowledge. Why didn't they just kill me right away if this was the end game? I didn't expect to get an answer, but there actually was one. Because they weren't programmed to kill humans collected from stations. They're meant to strip us for conversion. When the game was still active, it was crawling with low-level demons who would take the humans away once they were naked. Nobody knows exactly what was done to them, but... When they came back, they were cleaners. They don't speak, they just do as their program. No exceptions. Then why did they kill whoever this was? There's no way someone survived that much blood loss. That person must have been in here, getting supplies like we are. Every tunnel connects to this place, it's the supply hub. In here, cleaners are only programmed to restock loose items, and as far as they can tell, humans are basically livestock. So they're taken to meat processing. With each shocking revelation, I became slightly more numb to the panic. I had already reached that very point less than 24 hours before, but when I survived the countdown, it restored a sliver of hope. Then I saw people in hazmat suits like some kind of officials and, for the briefest moment, I thought they were there to help. 
I wanted to crush that sliver of hope when my clothes were taken, but Doug appeared and the damn thing grew. It took a minute for everything he said to really sink in and snuff the hope out at its roots. Part of me just wanted to assess the easiest way to die and get it over with. How big is this place? What else is out there? It's endless, don't you get it? We aren't on Earth. We aren't even in the same universe. We're basically in limbo. You can look behind every door, but you're never going to find a way out. No matter what kind of room you stumble across, you're still in the tunnels. Never forget that. He showed a little emotion with the last sentence, and I realized he had probably been an entirely different man before that place. We turned down an aisle of garden supplies, and there was an exit sign above a rusty door on the back wall. Doug took one last look around and handed me a pair of shears before removing a large hunting knife that had been concealed beneath his shirt. Sorry we didn't have time for a real weapon, but this is better than nothing. Are guns the only thing they don't stock in this place? Or are you really good with that thing? I nodded towards his knife while trying to find a comfortable way to wield my shears. Oh, there's plenty of guns and ammo, but you don't want to use them. Some of the low-level demons stay behind to play Alpha. If they hear a gunshot, they call for backup and everyone comes running. We've lost a lot of good people that way, and now we avoid firearms completely. Never forget, they don't have the power to grant big wishes, but that won't stop them from saying they do. Wait, we? So you are with a group? How many? We could probably take down the cleaners without guns. If we take over the hub... Don't talk that way. It's suicide. You think it hasn't been tried? You think you're the first person desperate to get home? There were seven people in the group that found us, but today, there's five. And not one of them are the same. Within the first year, each of the original seven died, along with quite a few others. And most of it can't be blamed on demons. He was whispering, and I could barely make out his words over the creaking door. But there was no mistaking that tone. We crept out, and we were in an identical tunnel as before. Endless in every direction. I'm sorry about your friends. I didn't know what else to say. Listen, I'm going to tell you the most important rule to survival. Never let them see you. They won't tolerate humans running loose in their deranged kingdom. Once they know you exist, the entire pack won't rest until they've hunted you down. Jesse, they don't need to sleep. I'll tell you what I've heard, but it's up to you whether or not to believe it. Plus, we're almost out of time, so keep moving or get left behind. That was fine after everything I had experienced. I thought I was ready to believe anything. Have you ever heard of any of the game legends? The ones where you do something incredibly dangerous for a chance to win something from the devil? Usually a wish or some kind of fortune, but there's a ton of them. The Infinity Game and Midnight Game are fairly popular, for example. Like Bloody Mary or Candyman? I did not like where this was going. Well, sort of. You're on the right track, but those are fake and only for a scare. The ones I'm talking about are all too real. The first thing you need to accept is that demons exist. They come in all shapes and sizes. But there's a group of elite that are uncontested in power. Almost godlike. Souls are the currency. Nourishment fuel that sustain their powers. But collecting them can get a little tricky. A demon can't simply take a soul by force. It must be freely given, and even the humans who don't believe in souls tend to get protective when asked point blank to part with one. So what do they do? They create a situation that makes you want to give it away. You follow me? Uh, sorta. 
You mean it's like the devil's crossroads or the thing with the golden fiddle? He considered that for a moment. Closer, but they haven't done things that way for decades. Business was slow. People weren't buying into it anymore. You know what they say about things too good to be true. But if you add an element of challenge, something to balance the effort with the reward, then people believe it. So somewhere in this maze of madness, you're saying there's a demon who will send me home in exchange for my soul? It was a shitty deal, but one I was prepared to take. That's how badly I miss my family. Hell no, man. This game isn't active. It's just a relic of the past. No one bothered to shut down. There was no rhyme or reason to getting here. It was practically based on chance. The asshole running it made himself a new game where suckers alternate turning left and right in order to play. I don't know what happens after that, but it's clearly more lucrative than this place. Now we're just stuck here while everything essentially runs on autopilot. It took me a few minutes to respond. It's not that I didn't believe him. No other explanations fit the scenario. I was just shocked. Does that mean the cleaners are the only danger in town here? I knew it was too good to be true when I said it, but I don't know. What else do you say at a time like that? He could have simply said no, but he didn't have to laugh. <laughs> I wish. This place wouldn't be that bad if... He stopped suddenly and reversed, pulling me with him. The sound of footsteps could be heard in the distance, and they were getting louder. The I'll Be Wrong contained packs of bottled water lined beneath the bottom shelf, and Doug rushed to clear a space among them. I helped as soon as I understood his intent, but I never thought we would actually fit. Thank goodness I was wrong. There was a four-foot space behind the stack, and it ran the full length of the aisles we were sandwiched between. Once we crawled under the shelf, we pulled the water back in to cover our entrance and waited in silence as the cleaners continued to draw closer. That's when we realized there was another sound mixed with the footsteps, one we couldn't quite identify until it was only a few yards away. It was the sound of something wet and sticky being dragged across the floor but nothing was distinguishable between the small cracks of our hiding place. Doug already knew what it was, I could tell by the look on his face, but he only shook his head at my curious stare. We waited until they were well out of our vicinity before crawling out, and the thick blood streaks confirmed the fear I wouldn't acknowledge. Why didn't they just kill me right away if this was the end game? I didn't expect to get an answer, but there actually was one. Because... They weren't programmed to kill humans collected from stations. They are meant to strip us for conversion. When the game was still active, it was crawling with low-level demons who would take the humans away once they were naked. Nobody knows exactly what was done to them, but when they came back, they were cleaners. They don't speak. They just do as they're programmed. No exceptions. Then why did they kill whoever this was? There's no way someone survived that much blood loss. That person must have been in here, getting supplies like we are. Every tunnel connects to this place. It's the supply hub. In here, cleaners are only programmed to restock loose items, and as far as they can tell, humans are basically livestock, so they are taken to meat processing. With each shocking revelation, I became slightly more numb to the panic. I had already reached that very point less than 24 hours before, but when I survived the countdown, it restored a sliver of hope. Then I saw people in hazmat suits like some kind of officials and, for the briefest moment, I thought they were there to help. I wanted to crush that sliver of hope when my clothes were taken, 
but Doug appeared and the damn thing grew. It took a minute for everything he said to really sink in and snuff the hope out at its roots. Part of me just wanted to assess the easiest way to die and get it over with. How big is this place? What else is out there? It's endless, don't you get it? We aren't on Earth. We aren't even in the same universe. We're basically in limbo. You can look behind every door, but you're never going to find a way out. No matter what kind of room you stumble across, you're still in the tunnels. Never forget that. He showed a little emotion with the last sentence, and I realized he had probably been an entirely different man before that place. We turned down an aisle of garden supplies, and there was an exit sign above a rusty door on the back wall. Doug took one last look around and handed me a pair of shears before removing a large hunting knife that had been concealed beneath his shirt. Sorry we didn't have time for a real weapon, but this is better than nothing. Are guns the only thing they don't stock in this place? Or are you really good with that thing? I nodded towards his knife while trying to find a comfortable way to wield my shears. Oh, there's plenty of guns and ammo, but you don't want to use them. Some of the low-level demons stay behind to play alpha. If they hear a gunshot, they call for backup and everyone comes running. We've lost a lot of good people that way, and now we avoid firearms completely. Never forget, they don't have the power to grant big wishes, but that won't stop them from saying they do. Wait, we? So you are with a group? How many? We could probably take down the cleaners without guns. If we take over the hub... Don't talk that way. It's suicide. You think it hasn't been tried? You think you're the first person desperate to get home? There were seven people in the group that found us, but today, there's five. And not one of them are the same. Within the first year, each of the original seven died, along with quite a few others. And most of it can't be blamed on demons. He was whispering, and I could barely make out his words over the creaking door, but there was no mistaking that tone. We crept out, and we were in an identical tunnel as before, endless in every direction. I'm sorry about your friends. I didn't know what else to say. Listen, I'm going to tell you the most important rule to survival. Never let them see you. They won't tolerate humans running loose in their deranged kingdom. Once they know you exist, the entire pack won't rest until they've hunted you down. Jesse, they don't need to sleep. Those rooms really could be anything, and they were completely random. The first night I stayed in a rundown bowling alley, but they had things from the past and present, fantasy and reality. Nothing was off limits. I slept in a millennial falcon, and I slept on benches and bus stations. When you have no one to share the good things with, stuff like that loses all meaning fast. I was leaving the White House yesterday when I noticed clumps of black sludge staining the walls ahead and dripping from the ceiling. The first spots were only 20 to 30 feet away, and they extended at least that much further. The lights near it were going out, and the ones still lit were dimming by the second. But at the very edge of darkness, I could just make out a tall humanoid shape. I threw myself into the closest room, which happened to be an old rubber factory. I wound my way through broken machinery and found the other exit. The new tunnel was clean, but I went through a bank, airport, and carnival too. When I entered the third clean tunnel, I walked ahead a few yards and chose one more door. I had no clue if the shape I saw really was a demon or if it saw me, but the fresh terror I felt at the prospect erased my lingering notions of running into one on purpose. Though with the way things turned out, I should probably be thanking the damn thing. 
That last door led outside. It wasn't like the station or airport where the small outdoor areas were still under a roof. There was an actual sky and it looked exactly like the paved streets of the back roads. The fresh air was absolutely delicious and I took my time searching for the exit. In fact, I was still searching two hours later. At one point, I even let myself believe I was actually out of the tunnels, but that hope was squashed when I reached the crossroads. Dark clouds rolled across the sky, and it grew darker by the second as I advanced. I knew it was different from the back road sin, and I knew I should turn back, but I couldn't. The door was gone, and there was nothing but miles of deserted highway behind me. A bright flash of lightning revealed a dark figure at the center of the crossroads. There was something about the way it stood facing me that made it seem like it was waiting to speak. The one in the tunnel had been hunched over like a rabid beast, waiting to strike out for its next meal. Or maybe that's what the new one wanted me to think. Either way, I walked right up to him because I was fairly certain he only wanted to talk. Because of how he was standing. Damn, that sounds really bad when I hear it out loud. Sorry, I'm getting pretty tired. I've been at this a while now. It's hard to describe, but it was like looking into a human-shaped black hole, where his face should be was only a vortex of even blacker swirls, and looking at it was like falling into a bottomless pit. Yet somehow, it kind of sounded like Samuel L. Jackson when it spoke. It said it was the original game owner and still preferred to operate in the old ways when possible. It wanted to know if I'd be interested in training my soul for being with my family again. And boy was I interested. All it took was a simple prick of a finger, a few drops of blood on a dotted line, and we were good to go. With a wave of his hand, the sky cleared, and a new door suddenly appeared behind us. It opened into my front yard, and I ran through it without another glance at the demon. Everything looked and smelled exactly how it should and my wife's car was in the driveway. She knew there was more to my story than getting lost, but she gave me time with the kids before making me explain, and I appreciated that. I also appreciated the fact that she doesn't know about my Reddit account. I did my best to tell her what happened, but now she wants me to see a psychologist. She's been on the phone all day trying to schedule one around the police visit. An officer was supposed to stop by to speak with us so we can officially close the missing persons report, but I guess he's running late. I'm not complaining though. I never want to leave this house again. Call it PTSD or whatever you want. I just have this overwhelming sense of dread that something awful will happen the second we try to go somewhere. This whole thing really messed up my dad too. He didn't sound like himself, and even my mother-in-law seemed shaken by the ordeal. I feel horrible for the trouble I caused everyone, but shit, I gotta go. There's another problem. My wife called the police station, and they're saying the cop already came by, but nobody answered the door. Can you believe this crap? Then the call dropped in the middle of the conversation, and now the lines are busy. What a joke. That was spooky. I hope it didn't scare y'all away. I'm sure it didn't, because y'all are creeps like me. If you liked tonight's spooky story, be sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends so you're not frightened alone. Also, leave a 5-star review. 
I'm on all the podcast platforms, and if I'm not on your fave, shoot me an email or Facebook message. Be sure to send me your spooky stories to be featured on the pod. You can email me at don'tListenAlonePodcast51 at gmail.com or message me on Facebook at don'tListenAlonePodcast. I look forward to seeing you next week for the next installment of the story. Those rooms really could be anything, and they were completely random. The first night I stayed in a rundown bowling alley, but they had things from the past and present, fantasy and reality. Nothing was off limits. I slept in a millennial falcon, and I slept on benches and bus stations. When you have no one to share the good things with, stuff like that loses all meaning fast. I was leaving the White House yesterday when I noticed clumps of black sludge staining the walls ahead and dripping from the ceiling. The first spots were only 20 to 30 feet away, and they extended at least that much further. The lights near it were going out, and the ones still lit were dimming by the second. But at the very edge of darkness, I could just make out a tall humanoid shape. I threw myself into the closest room, which happened to be an old rubber factory. I wound my way through broken machinery and found the other exit. The new tunnel was clean, but I went through a bank, airport, and carnival too. When I entered the third clean tunnel, I walked ahead a few yards and chose one more door. I had no clue if the shape I saw really was a demon or if it saw me, but the fresh terror I felt at the prospect erased my lingering notions of running into one on purpose. Though with the way things turned out, I should probably be thanking the damn thing. That last door led outside. It wasn't like the station or airport where the small outdoor areas were still under a roof. There was an actual sky and it looked exactly like the paved streets of the back roads. The fresh air was absolutely delicious and I took my time searching for the exit. In fact, I was still searching two hours later. At one point, I even let myself believe I was actually out of the tunnels, but that hope was squashed when I reached the crossroads. Dark clouds rolled across the sky, and it grew darker by the second as I advanced. I knew it was different from the back road sin, and I knew I should turn back, but I couldn't. The door was gone, and there was nothing but miles of deserted highway behind me. A bright flash of lightning revealed a dark figure at the center of the crossroads. There was something about the way it stood facing me that made it seem like it was waiting to speak. The one in the tunnel had been hunched over like a rabid beast, waiting to strike out for its next meal. Or maybe that's what the new one wanted me to think. Either way, I walked right up to him because I was fairly certain he only wanted to talk. Because of how he was standing. Damn, that sounds really bad when I hear it out loud. Sorry, I'm getting pretty tired. I've been at this a while now. It's hard to describe, but it was like looking into a human-shaped black hole, where his face should be was only a vortex of even blacker swirls, and looking at it was like falling into a bottomless pit. Yet somehow, it kind of sounded like Samuel L. Jackson when it spoke. It said it was the original game owner and still preferred to operate in the old ways when possible. It wanted to know if I'd be interested in training my soul for being with my family again. And boy was I interested. All it took was a simple prick of a finger, a few drops of blood on a dotted line, and we were good to go. With a wave of his hand, the sky cleared, and a new door suddenly appeared behind us. 
It opened into my front yard, and I ran through it without another glance at the demon. Everything looked and smelled exactly how it should, and my wife's car was in the driveway. She knew there was more to my story than getting lost, but she gave me time with the kids before making me explain, and I appreciated that. I also appreciated the fact that she doesn't know about my Reddit account. I did my best to tell her what happened, but now she wants me to see a psychologist. She's been on the phone all day trying to schedule one around the police visit. An officer was supposed to stop by to speak with us so we can officially close the missing persons report, but I guess he's running late. I'm not complaining, though. I never want to leave this house again. Call it PTSD or whatever you want. I just have this overwhelming sense of dread that something awful will happen the second we try to go somewhere. This whole thing really messed up my dad, too. He didn't sound like himself, and even my mother-in-law seemed shaken by the ordeal. I feel horrible for the trouble I caused everyone, but shit, I gotta go. There's another problem. My wife called the police station, and they're saying the cop already came by, but nobody answered the door. Can you believe this crap? Then the call dropped in the middle of the conversation, and now the lines are busy. What a joke. That was spooky. I hope it didn't scare y'all away. I'm sure it didn't, because y'all are creeps like me. If you like tonight's spooky story, be sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends so you're not frightened alone. Also, leave a five-star review. I'm on all the podcast platforms, and if I'm not on your fave, shoot me an email or Facebook message. Be sure to send me your spooky stories to be featured on the pod. You can email me at don'tlistenalonepodcast51 at gmail.com or message me on Facebook at Don't Listen Alone Podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week for the next installment of the story.